This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Well, I know several of you, and, and I know that you are bargain shoppers. You like going to garage sales, you like uh, going to auctions. And so before we get into our lesson, I have three dandy bargains for you to consider. The first is a re- really great deal on a new tripod. Uh, if there's a tripod that's state-of-the-art, this is it, this is top-of-the-line, weatherproof, lightweight, it folds up to neatly fit into a backpack, it, it adjusts to secure any type of camera, this tripod can be a treasure that you pass down to all future generations of photographers in your family. So here's the bargain. Today, today only, I'm offering it one-third off the regular price. Which is a good deal. Say good deal. Say good deal. We all like good deals. But, but it's only fair that I disclose that this tripod is missing one-third of its legs. In fact, I have a, I have a picture. There it is right there. And, uh, but, but imagine the, the convenience of one fewer legs to fold up and, and pack. And, and besides, you only have two legs. And, and you seem to do quite well. So are you in? Anybody interested in this great deal? You're just giving me the blank stare. Um, I, I thought some of you would just jump for this opportunity. Okay, let me move on to bargain number two. And, and this bargain is a tricycle. Think of the joy that your child or, or, or grandchild will have riding up and down the sidewalk on this spectacular tricycle. And and this isn't just any trike, but this is a very special trike because it has red pedals and a blue seat. Uh, plus, it has a very fancy sissy bar on the back. That, that way your child can ride in style, lean back, and just kind of chill as he experiences the thrill. And, and, and again, this is a great bargain. That's a good deal because I'm offering this at one-third the original price. But again, in uh, transparency, let me just disclose the fact that it's missing one wheel. There it is. But, but the missing wheel is no big deal because it still has two perfectly good wheels. And little Johnny will eventually need to ride a two-wheeler anyway. And so might as well start him out right, get him used to two wheels early. So are you in? Some of you are rolling your eyes like... My wife does when I annoy her, which is most of the time. Okay, I've got one more bargain to dangle in front of you. And this item is a prism. Nothing captures the radiance of sunlight uh, like a triangular prism. You'll spend hours caught up in the fascination with the refractions. And, and, and you can entertain and wow the kids and the, and the grandkids. Or, or better yet, this really appeals to me. You can drive the neighbor's cat crazy. By making the rays move around on the sidewalk, and it'll be jumping and chasing. And this one is especially suited for the budget-minded consumer because a slight factory defect has left one side of the triangle opaque or, 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 or dark. Let's just see that prism here. See, this, this side is, is dark, and so the light goes in, and you know it, it doesn't really work like it's, it's supposed to. Uh, but the other two sides are, are, are great. And, and by the way, uh, who else on your block would own a two-sided prism? And of course, 
you know, I'll lower the price by one-third to compensate for the defect. Anybody in? One-third off the price of a tripod with two legs? One-third off the trike with two wheels? One-third off a prism that has a side that's opaque? Do you not see the value here? Of course you don't. And I don't blame you. Who settles for two-thirds when you can have the whole? The answer? Many Christians. Many Christians settle for two-thirds. Ask a believer to answer the question, Who is God the Father? They know. Ask a believer to, to answer, Describe God the Son, and they answer quickly. But, but if you want to see Christians hem, haw, and, and search for words and scratch their heads and stutter around, ask them to describe the Holy Spirit. They rely on God the Father. They pray in the name of Jesus the Son. But they overlook the Holy Spirit and settle for two-thirds God. Now, just as you wouldn't want to make that mistake with a tripod or a tricycle or a prism, you certainly don't want to make that mistake with the Trinity. Because the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit more than 100 times. In fact, Jesus says more about the Holy Spirit than He does about the church or marriage. And on the eve of His death, as He prepared His followers to face the future without Him, He made this great promise. There in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And just a few days later, the Holy Spirit did indeed come in power. But unfortunately today, we, we largely ignore the significance of that day when the Holy Spirit came. Much like what King George III of England said on a very important day in our history, on July 4, 1776, does that day ring a bell? The members of the Continental Congress, they were meeting in Philadelphia. And they signed a document that we've come to know as the Declaration of Independence. And, and with this action, the American Revolution was launched. A new nation would be born that would eventually be called the United States of America. But what was, what was so ironic is that on this very day, July 4th, 1776, George III, King of England, made this entry in his diary. Nothing of any importance happened today. And on that day of Pentecost, in the year 30 A.D., just a few followers of Jesus, the Bible says 120 of them, they had gathered in Jerusalem. They had been praying for 10 days. And suddenly the Spirit of God descended into that upper room and filled each of them, and, and the church of Jesus Christ was launched. But what is interesting is that no historian of the time saw anything significant in that event. Because those 120 disciples were rather ordinary men and women, a few fishermen, maybe a couple of housewives, a former tax collector, a few farmers, maybe some servant girls. There was no one of great importance within that group. Yet when the Spirit of God descended on these ordinary people, God began to build a church that in less than 300 years would become the official religion of the entire Roman Empire. And today, the church of Jesus Christ encircles the globe and numbers some one billion followers. 
How did that happen? Very simply, those 120 followers of Jesus met the Holy Spirit. Now, today is what we refer to as Pentecost Sunday, which incidentally, uh, this, uh, you, you may not know this fact, but the Jewish people, are, our Jewish friends in Israel, they are celebrating today um, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the giving of the Torah over 3,200 years ago. They're in Mount Sinai. They're at the base. They came down. And, and so the Jewish people, they are having a gathering at, at, at 4 o'clock. And, and they're celebrating when the Ten Commandments was given. It's the birthday of the, of the Ten Commandments. Uh, but, but anyway, we, this is Pentecost Sunday as well. Just as we celebrate Christmas and, and just as we celebrate Easter, on this day we celebrate Pentecost, the coming of God's Spirit. And and the literal meaning of Pentecost is 50 days. In the New Testament, and, and today, Pentecost Sunday was and is positioned 50 days after Easter. That's where we are today. But if you wouldn't have come to church today, you probably would not have known anything about this being Pentecost Sunday. And maybe it's because we have a difficult time getting a handle on the Spirit of God. You know, we, we understand the image of God the Father because we have earthly fathers. We understand the image of, of God the Son because we have sons. But it's really tough to wrap our minds around God the Spirit. And so therefore, Pentecost Sunday is low-key, sometimes ignored, even maligned. Some people equate Pentecost with holy rollers. Others equate Pentecost with e emotional extremism. And we hear about it a lot, see it on TV. You know, the weird stuff that people do. And still others view Pentecost Sunday as, as just something for a denomination or a particular movement. And I realize that talk about the Spirit is not as sweet as talk about a baby born in a manger. And, and it's not as celebratory as Jesus bursting out of the tomb on Easter Sunday. But nonetheless, and, and this impacted me so strongly this past week, but, but if Pentecost does not happen, then probably none of us here would have ever come to know Jesus. Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, that little sect of people that they call the way, they didn't call them Christians yet. They called them the way because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they were referred to as, as the way. But without the Holy Spirit coming, that little sect of people called the way would have probably soon died out. And there's no way that Christianity would have circled the globe and arrived to Eldorado Springs, Missouri. Now, let me give you a little bit of basic doctrine here. We believe the Bible teaches the concept of the Trinity. God the Father who creates. God the Son who redeems. And God the Holy Spirit who sanctifies or makes His people holy. But at the same time, within the Trinity, God is one. We don't have three gods. God is one. He merely manifests Himself in three different ways. And it's the third part of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, that we celebrate on this day of Pentecost. Now, as we talk about the power of God's Spirit, it's evidenced in a couple of ways. The power of God's Spirit can be unleashed uh, or it can be harnessed. Let me illustrate it this way. The energy in, in 10 gallons of gasoline can be released explosively by dropping a lighted match into the can. And kids, don't try this at home. 
nor adults. But being a little bit of a pyromaniac, I like explosions. <laughs> you know, when we were doing our, our Freedom Fest and we would have the Class B and, and we'd always start our program with those boomers and, and man, they would just rattle, rattle your chest. And I, I love that. And I love to feel the, the, the explosion. And, and, and when I burn a brush pile at the farm, I, I do what I'm not supposed to do. I, I do use a little bit of diesel fuel like you're supposed to because, you know, it's not as volatile as gasoline. But but I love, there's just something about it. I love to throw a little bit of gasoline on the fire. And it goes, whoosh. You like those sound effects there? Whoosh. And, and it's dramatic. It's awesome. So explosions are spectacular. But controlled burns have a much longer and lasting effect. And so 10 gallons of gasoline can also be channeled through the engine of a Ford or Chevy or Toyota or Chrysler. And it can be harnessed in the form of a controlled burn. And 10 gallons of gasoline can then be used to transport a person 200, 300, 350 miles, depending on how eco-friendly your vehicle is. And the Holy Spirit works both ways. At, at Pentecost, it was almost like the Holy Spirit exploded on the scene. And in Acts chapter 2, and we're not going to read it, but it talks about how thousands of people were, were literally affected by one burst of God's power. And, and Peter went out and he preached the inaugural message of the church. And remember, the Bible says 3,000 people came to know Christ. That was one message only. That was explosive power. But also when the Holy Spirit came, there was staying power. Can I just really get close to us this morning? Uh, you, you didn't see a church people as a whole being up and down like we are today. You know, how many of us are like yo-yos? <laughs> up one day, down the next, and we go to a revival or to a particular conference or whatever, and, and we have a little spiritual surge and... And that holds us for a little while, but then most of us have a pretty bad spiritual leak. And it's not long until we lose that, that fervor. And then, you know, you see all these Tesla charging stations. It's like we've got to go up to the charging station and, and, and get fired up again. And then we leak out. But the early church, not only in a, in a sense that it explode on the scene, but it also had staying power. And with that staying power, the Holy Spirit then enabled the church to continually, daily accomplish things way beyond programs, talents, and buildings. I wonder today if, if way too many times we're, we're trying to live a Christian life without allowing the Holy Spirit to fuel us. And I wonder today if, if too many times the, the church relies solely on human abilities and programs and, and the latest technology and, and we rely on those things to do the work. And we push and we pull and, and we wear ourselves out trying to manipulate some positive progress. And, and yes, at times there is some, but, but it takes so much effort. And after pushing and pulling, you know, God's people, we walk around exhausted, we're frustrated, we're tired because we, we feel like we have to do all the work and... We're discouraged because we're doing the work under our own power. You know, there's a very simple story that's been told with several different variations, and you've probably heard the story, but today we're going to listen to this story. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it's story time at the Church of God Holiness. And we're going to let Francis Chan read us a story called The Big Red Tractor. This is a story he told in a series called The Forgotten God. Go ahead and roll that. The Big Red Tractor and His Little Village. Once upon a time in a little field in a happy little village lived a big red tractor. Every morning during plowing season, the village people, no, not those village people, would come out and start the red tractor. Everyone loved the tractor and the powerful noises it would make. They would cheer for the big red tractor because he would help them through plowing season. The people worked together to move the tractor. Half of the villagers would push from behind while the other half would pull. They had been doing it this way for many generations. Some days they moved the tractor 10 feet. Some days they moved it 20. They did this for three whole months every year. Because of their hard work, the villagers always managed to plow the field just in time to plant and just before the rainy season. The rains would come to water the field. Then the sun would come out to make the crops grow. And then the people would come out and harvest all the new crops. It was just enough food to feed the entire village. One day, Farmer Dave was cleaning out his attic. To his surprise, he found an old book tucked beneath his great-grandpa's belongings. It was the owner's manual to the big red tractor. This book told about how the tractor was made and all the great things it could do. Farmer Dave studied the book all night. He was shocked by what he was reading. According to the book, if the big red tractor was running properly, it could plow the whole field in just one day. Early the next morning, Farmer Dave gathered the villagers to tell them the good news. But nobody believed him. There's no way that tractor can move on its own, some said. One lady said, it sounds like you're reading a fairy tale. The people laughed at him. This made Farmer Dave very sad. This didn't stop Farmer Dave from believing what he read. Every night, while the other villagers were asleep, Farmer Dave spent time repairing the big red tractor. One night, Farmer Dave fixed the tractor completely. He jumped on the tractor and had so much fun driving it, he ended up plowing the whole field in one night. The next morning, the villagers woke up and were in shock. The whole field had been plowed. It's a miracle, one man said. Maybe aliens came down, said an old woman. No, look over there, a little boy shouted. It was Farmer Dave sleeping on the tractor. It was then that the people shouted, He was right. The tractor book is true. The villagers ended up plowing many fields that year and harvesting way more food than they could ever eat. They had so many leftover boxes of food that they began taking the boxes to other villages where food was scarce. The big red tractor and his little village soon became famous throughout the land. They became known as the most generous and life-giving people in the whole wide world. Now, if you didn't figure it out, the big red tractor represents us. It represents the church. And here in America, we've created a church system where we take care of our own and 
and kind of have as our goal, the goal of survival. But when you read the manual, this manual, when you read the Bible, you see that the early church did not just have a goal of trying to survive. They weren't happy with status quo. That they weren't about trying to maintain and, and just please the people. God had called them to something that was so much greater than just a maintenance ministry. That there was something supernatural about the early church. But much of the church world today, and, and I'm speaking to myself right now as pastor of this church, but, but it's based on human effort and, and it's based on the church pushing uh, uh, and pulling like the village people did with a big red tractor. And, and what a church typically does is they try to get the most gifted staff members and, and the best Sunday school teachers and, and the best life group leaders and the, and the best kids workers and the best musicians and, and the best technology and, and I'm all for excellence. I believe God is pleased with excellence. I, I don't want to see us lessen the importance of excellence. But when you read in the scripture, you, you see an element that was beyond excellence. And it was the element of the supernatural. And a church and a people that were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they not only had that explosive power that launched the church after the day of Pentecost, but, but it also fueled the growth of the church. To where they had people coming to know Jesus every day. When I read the scriptures, I see a church that was unstoppable. I, I see a church with the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. But, but my frustration with the church today, and, and it's partially frustration with myself. But I feel that the church today is so stoppable. You take away a program, you lose a good musician, you lose a valuable staff member, the church takes a hit, suffers, maybe begins to struggle, decline. Why? Because the church is so dependent on talent and programs instead of the Holy Spirit. But in the scriptures, uh, you know, that there was no way that the church was going to die. And, and when Stephen, he was one of the main leaders... He was killed. That didn't kill the church. Because the church was fueled by more than just talented people. It was fueled by the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit does not necessarily cause us to do those dramatic and wild and crazy things that sometimes we associate with the Spirit. But, but it first empowers us to live lives that, that point not to our accomplishments, not to us, not to our local church but to Jesus Christ. But secondly, the, the Holy Spirit enables us to experience the righteousness of Christ. And it's this Spirit that convicts us of our sins. It, it shows us, listen, it shows us that we really aren't as good as we think we are. And the result is that we fall on our knees at the foot of the cross begging for Christ's mercy. And in answer, He comes and washes away our sins. And he removes the stain of our sins. And it's this spirit that makes the church, it makes the body of Christ the most unique and powerful organization on the face of the earth. Now imagine all the promises Jesus could have made to his disciples. 
He could have promised them success. He could have promised them the absence of disease or or struggles. He could have promised them just a high level of wealth and maybe a Learjet. And and, and it just kind of cracks me up. I went to... uh, to uh, Gene Westhoven's surgery this past Friday, and 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 uh, I, I flew down with with Paul Miller, and um, and so they were telling the doctor, you know, well, well, my pastor's going to be flying in, and they were impressed because they thought I was going to be like one of these televangelists that had rings on every finger and had my private Learjet and my mansion, and and they said, oh no no no, that's not our pastor at all. I think they were kind of disappointed there, but but. Christ could have promised them all of this stuff. He promised none of those things. What He did promise, however, was so much better. It was the promise of the perpetual, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And everything that happens from from, from the book of Acts to the end of the book of Revelation is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit of Christ. In fact, do you want to see, get a glimpse of the Holy Spirit's to-do list? And we could be here for a whole series, but let me just cover this really fast. You see that in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, he is here to comfort the believers. He guides the believers into all truth. He reveals the things that are still to come. He offers prayers of intercession. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He bears witness that the saint is saved. He attests to the presence of God with miracles. He creates a godlike atmosphere of truth and wisdom and freedom. But... I want you to catch this. This list of activities is incomplete without this one word, holy. The Spirit of God makes us holy. After all, is He not the Holy Spirit? One of His primary activities is to cleanse us from sin and to sanctify us for a holy work. You know, Paul reminded the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says, and that is what some of you were, and there was just a whole list of sins, bad sins, probably worse than most of us here. But he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And sanctification is not a work that, that's accomplished by trying harder. It's only accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. Several years ago when I was just beginning to get caught up in my warped hobby that I have of mountain climbing. And, you know, some people want to know, where where did you pick this up? I don't know. Nobody in my family's in it. But anyway, as I was just really getting interested, I I went on some climbs of of smaller mountains and 16, 17,000, 18,000 foot mountains. I know that sounds major to us since the tallest mountains here in the continental U.S. They're 14,000 feet and, and, and some change. But where I lived in, in, in another country, these were small mountains. And, and so I trained with a professional guide and learned proper climbing techniques with crampons and ice axes and ropes and harnesses. And, and I learned how to arrest your fall. You know, if, if you go tumbling down the mountainside, how, how do you stop your fall? And, and after training and doing some of the, several of these climbs, I was, I was ready for my, what I consider my first big climb. It was a 20,000-foot mountain that was not hugely technical. Uh, it did present some challenges for, for a rookie climber. And, and, and since then, as I look back on it, I think, well, that wasn't anything because I've climbed significantly higher and more technical mountains. But for, for my first big mountain, it, it was pretty challenging. And, 
And, and this is a mountain that I still think is probably one of the top 10 most beautiful mountains in, in the entire world. And, and here is one of the ridges of, of that first 20,000-foot mountain that, that I climbed. Isn't that just an incredible, incredible uh, mountain, just, just so beautiful? Uh, now, when we went to climb this, you, you have to acclimatize to the elevation, which you need around a week to do that. But then the climb, after, the, uh, uh, after you acclimatized, it was normally two to three days. Uh, at that time, I was young, and, and I was in really, really good shape, and my guide felt that I was strong enough and could move quickly enough to make it in one day. And, and, and that way we av- avoided one of the terrible things, you know, when, when you sleep up that high, there's just no oxygen, and, and it's like you're panicking. You, you, you can't, and you're sleeping there in the snow, and it's just so miserable. And so if you can go in one day... And avoid carrying up all of your gear. That's that's the best. And so, uh, my guide said, "Let let's do this." So we went light and fast. We started in the middle of the night and climbed throughout the night and most of the day. I remember as we started up that final ridge, and my guide could tell I was tiring. And and um, and, and this guide who was also my friend, his name was Ivan. Uh, he said in Spanish, he said, "Joe, I know you're tiring. Yo sé que tú estás cansado." And uh, but, but he said, just in case you're thinking of bailing this close to the summit, I'm not going to let you bail. Even if I have to push you or pull you the last few meters on the summit ridge, you're going to make it. You have no choice. You are going to summit this mountain. And those last few meters were tough. And, you know, they, they were steep. And, and again, I was a rookie climber and, and exposed. And I was just kind of weirded out with all of the exposure, you know, one, one slip and it's, uh, it wasn't a real pretty picture there, but, but, but Ivan did something that was so cool. We were roped together for safety, as, as we always are, and, and, and typically you want to be separated on your rope about 10 yards, 10 to 15 yards. That way, if you happen to cross over on an ice bridge that gives away and you fall into a crevasse, hopefully you're on solid ground, on, on solid ice or, or solid snow. And, and uh, so, so anyway... He, Ivan arrived at the summit of the mountain and, and I was 10 to 15 yards, the most difficult part. And, and I didn't know if I could make it. And, uh, all of a sudden I felt a tug on the rope that was attached to my harness. And I looked up there and Ivan began reeling me in with the rope like you would reel in a fish. And it's amazing what that little boost did. I climbed up those last few meters and summited my first 20,000-foot mountain. Now, that's a really crude and, and, and simple illustration of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. He wants to give us that extra boost. You know, when our strength is gone, He wants to come and give us a pull. When our dreams have been shattered, as some of yours have, he wants to come with encouragement. When sorrow has invaded our lives, he wants to come with comfort. When depression has paralyzed us, you know, I'm finding more and more that that's what depression does. It it paralyzes us. But when we're paralyzed because of depression... The Holy Spirit wants to come in with hope. When sin has wiggled its way back into our lives, 
addiction come back into our lives, the Holy Spirit wants to come with cleansing. And when a church like ours finds itself ineffective, the Holy Spirit wants to come and give that church the supernatural element. And it doesn't take away responsibility of the staff and volunteers. But yet, when the Holy Spirit is here, I don't believe we have to walk around so exhausted thinking that it's all on our shoulders. When you're ready to give up, the Holy Spirit wants to come and give you that staying power. Again, the the, the Scripture says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. As I wrap things up today, I want to read what someone wrote about the result of Pentecost. Just listen. He said that when God sends His Spirit, barriers are broken. He said opposites are reconciled. Unity is established. I think some of you need to hear this. Addiction is broken. He said when the Holy Spirit comes, entire cities are renewed. And then I believe America needs this. When the Holy Spirit comes, races are reconciled. Hope is established. And he goes on and writes, says, discouraged folks cheer up. Dishonest folks fess up. Some of you need this. Sour folks sweeten up. Closed folk open up. When the Holy Spirit comes, gossipers shut up. Conflicted folks make up. Sleeping folks wake up. Lukewarm folk fire up. Dry bones shake up. And pew potatoes stand up. But most of all, Christ the Savior of all the world is lifted up. So on this Pentecost Sunday, just as you wouldn't settle for a two-legged tripod, or you wouldn't settle for a two-wheeled tricycle, or a two-sided prism, oh, may we not settle for two-thirds God. Can we just be open to, first of all, His explosive power? But then when may we be open to, to His day-by-day staying power? And so th- this morning, as we wrap up our service, as we have our closing prayer, here's what I want us to do. Let's invite the Spirit to come So we no longer have to keep pushing the big red tractor. Let's let the Holy Spirit fuel and energize our lives. Now, I I want to say that as we pray this morning, I know in some church traditions, they will tell you, okay, you need to seek this and this and, 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 you know, the gift and the signs and all that. When the Holy Spirit came 2,000 years ago, you know what they were seeking? They were seeking God. That's what they were seeking. Let's not lose our way here and begin to seek stuff and things and signs and wonders and gifts. All we really need to do is seek God and His fullness. And I promise you, God will then give out what He wants to give out.
Amen? So, I'd like for all of us here, I don't care where you are in your walk with God, you may have been serving God for many, many years, or maybe you're a newbie. Maybe you're one that's kind of straight away, you find out you do have leaks, and you need to come back. Could we just pray all together and say, Oh, God, would you just fill me with your Holy Spirit? And Lord, whatever that means, I'm okay with it. Let's try to, let's quit trying to do things in our own strength. Let's do things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you please stand? Let's just all together pray. Oh, Father, we... We come to you this morning. We, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the day of Pentecost. We thank you for, for, for Christmas. That was such a, an amazing day. It would have been there to hear the angels sing and the shepherds come and the wise men come. And Lord, it uh, had to be an amazing day when there was that celebration on Easter Sunday as the stone rolled back and you came bursting out of the tomb and you defeated the tomb and you defeated death. You defeated hell. You defeated Satan. But Lord, equally important to our faith is the day of Pentecost. Because without the day of Pentecost, probably the gospel would not have arrived here because there wouldn't have been the power to take it across the world. So I, I, I believe, God, the reason we're in church today is we want more of you. And Lord, I pray that we would just seek you with our hearts open. God, that we would just want more of Jesus. Lord, I pray that right now you would just come in and, 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 and then fill us. Lord, make us something. Make us as a church that we can't do by staff or music or technology. And Lord, we thank you for the growth that you've given our church and for the new people that have come to know you. But God, I I believe that you want to do so much more than that. God, I believe you want to just energize us and fuel us with the fuel of the Spirit. So God, I, I pray right now for these people as they open their hearts. Would you do something within us? I pray this in your name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there somebody here that would just lift a hand and say... Pastor, that's what I want. I I want God to just fill my heart. You just raise your hand. You know, I think a lot of us want that. Oh, Father, I just pray right now that you would hear the cry of our hearts, the cry of our lips, and Lord, that you would fill us. Lord, fill us with something that we can't do on our own. And God, that we would have that explosive power that on the day of Pentecost caused there to be thousands of people come to know you, but then just that day-by-day staying power, keeping power. Lord, we thank you for your word that instructs us. And all of God's people said, Amen. I love worshiping with you. Thank you for being here today. And uh, we will see you next Sunday. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.